seated. Thanks for joining us today. We are grateful that you would join together. If, if you have a 9 to 11-year-old or if you are a 9 to 11-year-old, there is a class this morning. Um, you are dismissed to go back to that class. Um, we are grateful for that. And by the way, I want to put a plug in. If you want to serve in children's ministry, we could use more people so that we can have the class more regularly. So if you want to serve in children's ministry, just see Aaron Campbell up here, and he will direct you to the right people. Um, we love to serve because Jesus came to serve us. Um, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, we're reading verses 19 to 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 27. We're back in the book or the letter to the Corinthians. Last week we had a wonderful message finishing up the letter or the book of Malachi um, where we were encouraged to remember and respond. And today we're going to be looking at, at the implications. What what does it mean that we're free? So let's turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. This is God's holy, inspired word for us. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we absolutely must have you. We, we must have you, Holy Spirit, if we are to understand your words. We must have you, Holy Spirit, if we're to obey your word. We must have you, Holy Spirit, to enable us to respond. But thank you that for all who are in Christ Jesus, you give us the promise of the Holy Spirit. And you say that if we ask, you will give us more of the Holy Spirit. So we pray this morning, give us your spirit. Open up our minds, open up our hearts, Lord. Enable us to to understand, awaken those areas that have become dead. Awaken those areas where we're sleepy. Awaken those areas where we are dull, Lord. Awaken us to the gospel. Awaken us to you. And Lord, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, empower us and enable us not only to receive this, but to respond. God, all of us are weak in, in a myriad of ways. But thank you, Lord, that you are not weak. So Holy Spirit, in our weakness, I pray that you would make us strong. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, for citizens of this country, the, the Declaration of Independence, it declared that we are endowed by our creator with, with certain unalienable rights, and that, that includes life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And for the most part, I think we're free to do what we want, to live like we want in this country, as long as we don't hurt anybody else. We're, we're free to do what we want, to live as we want. And, and in fact, most people champion the idea of freedom, uh, there was an old Mel Gibson movie, Braveheart, and, and he screams out, freedom! And I think that resonated with American audiences especially. But if you're American, imagine giving up your freedom. Imagine giving up your liberty. That supposedly an unalienable right that you have. Imagine giving up that freedom for the sake of of others. Imagine voluntarily becoming a slave for someone else. The idea is almost unthinkable, right? Especially on the heels of Veterans Day. It's, an, it's almost an unthinkable idea. Well, you see that the Apostle Paul, he's writing, and he's writing with the same kind of idea when he's saying that he is a free person. Now, that's not a small statement to make because most people in his day, and even in Corinth, were not free Roman citizens. Most of the church was not, probably at least half of the church was enslaved in some way and seeking to not be slaves anymore. And so Paul says, I am completely free. Now he's not just speaking metaphorically, he's also speaking specifically, he's a free Roman citizen. And he's also speaking of his gospel freedom too. He's, he's saying both because he's been writing about the freedom that we have in the gospel, the freedom that, that, that keeps us from having to live for the approval of other people, that we don't have to live in conformity to the law anymore. And he says, I'm free in all those ways. I'm free. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm free in every way. And that had huge privileges in that world because, by the way, the Roman Empire was the greatest empire at the time when Paul was writing. And so for him to say, I'm a free Roman citizen, was a big deal. And he's saying, I'm free from all. And he's also free from the obligations of living for the law. But look at what he says. He says, though I'm free from all, what does he do with that freedom? He uses that freedom, not for himself, but to give it up. Now he's free to give up his freedoms. That's what he's free to do. He says, I've made myself a servant to all. What an astounding statement that is, right? When you hear that, especially for us in our culture, in our day, imagine I came to you and said, hey, would you, would you consider giving up all your freedoms in order to serve someone else? What would you say? What would you do? How would you respond? Paul here, he's giving his own example, not just because he's trying to be proud and show that he's a great guy, but he's saying, I'm doing this because I want you, I want you to respond in the same way. He says, I'm free from all, but I, I make myself a servant to all. He was willing to serve because he cared more about winning them for Christ than exercising his right to live for himself. And, and, and this morning, I believe this, this passage, it's challenging. This, is, this was a very challenging passage for me personally. As I was reading through this, I realized, wait a minute, am I, am I living this way? Am I doing this? Am I living in a way that, that I give up my freedoms to serve others so that I might win them for the sake of the gospel? See, Paul willingly lived as a servant for his fellow man because he wanted to win them to Christ more than he wanted to protect his freedom. I think the application that Paul wanted the church in that day, and I think that God wants it for us today is for us to be a servant seeking to win. 
That's, that's, that's the application that, that I believe that Paul would have for not only the church in Corinth, but that God would have for us be, be a servant seeking to win. Are you a servant who's seeking to win? Now, this is not just a servant generically. Yes, we're called to serve, and there's other passages in the Bible that talks about serving one another, loving one another in that way. But this is specifically serving with the goal of winning. And what kind of winning is Paul talking about there? We look down your Bibles. He mentions winning five different times here. He mentions winning five different times. Look down your Bibles in, in, um, in verse 19. He says, that I might win, that I might win more of them. Now look down in verse 20. He says, that I might win Jews, that I might win people who are living as Jews. And he says, that I might win those who are under the law, who are living in a way and practice under the law. Now look at verse 21. He says, that I might win those outside the law. Now look down at verse 22, that I might win the weak. In making himself a servant of all, he's not just giving in to every desire and need. He was seeking to truly serve them. He was humbling himself so that he might give them what they needed most so he could win them. Win them for what? Well, he's wanting to win them for the gospel. He's wanting to win them for Christ. Now, for us today, that that sounds like a shocking phrase, to win people for Christ. But this is the the very language that Paul uses here is to, to win them. To win all kinds of people, no matter what kinds of people he comes into contact with and he interacts with, he's going to contextualize how he relates to them and he's going to identify with them in their scenario, in their situation. He's going to put himself in their shoes, if you will, because he wants to win them. He's going to serve them. He's going to put his needs aside so he might serve them. This is perhaps one of the most compelling passages for evangelism in at least the letter to the Corinthians, and I would say in the New Testament. Paul's saying he wants to become a, now that word actually for servant, it, it, it's a bond slave. It's a, it's a person who willingly enslaves themselves. And he says, I'm, I'm willingly enslaving myself to other people, not to give them what they want, but to give them what they need so that I might win them. I might win them. He wasn't fearing man, but he was willing to give up his rights no matter what because because he lived with this greater goal in mind. He was continually living this way as a servant trying to win. And and as I was reading this, I was provoked because am I I living my Christian life that way? Sadly, I think often I'm not. And I, I think that God would have me repent and have all of us at times repent. Are we living our lives this way? Paul's saying when he was in Jewish company, he, he, he conformed to practicing the law because he wanted to remove all those barriers so he might have an opportunity to win them. That's why if you're reading through the book of Acts, it might be confusing. He takes Timothy and he takes Timothy to go and be circumcised. Why did Paul do that? Well, he's not doing that because he believes you have to obey the law, but he's doing that say, to remove any offense, to become like the Jews. In Acts 21, he, he underwent purification rites. That's why he did that, to, that he might win them. They weren't necessary by any means, but he was doing that to show that you can still practice these cultural things that aren't sinful and, and be a Christian who's putting your trust fully in Christ alone. You, you can practice these cultural things. You know, you can go to sporting events. You can, um, you can watch shows. You can do different things as, as long as they're not causing you to stumble and sin. They're not sinning themselves. And... and and, and still put your trust fully in Christ alone. He's saying for those outside the law, he gave up living according to the law of Moses. And that's why when he was, uh, when, when, when he was in Galatia, he corrected Peter. Because Peter was, was offending them by living like, like the Jews should be separate from the Galatians. And Paul says, why are you doing that? 
You're, you're putting up another rule, another offense for the gospel. He says, when, when I was into those outside the law, I lived like that. I ate with them. I, I practiced those things. He was controlled and, and constrained, he says, instead of being constrained and controlled by legalism or by trying to fit in or be like other people, he was controlled by the law of the love of God. He was trying to love them in their scenario, in their situation, in their circumstances. He was doing it all so he could win them to Christ. It didn't mean he, he sinned or he was living wickedly. And some people take this and, and they use it as justification to go and watch bad things or do bad things or to participate in the things of the world that, that would defile them. And, and that's not what Paul is saying. He lived by biblical principles. He lived by biblical guidelines, but he removed any and all barriers and that was what he was seeking to live like as a servant, trying to win people. That was, that was the main goal of his life. What's the main goal of your life? Are you living as a servant seeking to win? I remember back when we started a college ministry back in 1993, I think. Is that correct? And we were just all in. Everything about us, we were just focused on reaching out to the campus of George Mason University. And we started a college ministry there. We started a small group on campus. And, and everything we were doing, everything we were about, our whole life was about that. I would take the guys who I was reaching out to, I'd take them climbing on Saturday mornings. And, and it was a goal to, to, to meet them where they were at, to get them to come into something they would enjoy. We'd take them rock climbing down by the Great Falls and the river in Virginia, the Potomac. And then, and then we would um, go back afterwards and we would talk about theology, but do it in a relaxed way. We would feed them. And, and all of our lives are about that. And I thought, I mean, I've kind of gotten away from that mentality. I think we're to be living like that, living like a servant who are, who are focused on winning, focused on winning others for Christ. No matter what he encountered, Paul was willing to adapt his practice to theirs in order to save them. He wasn't modifying his message. <laughs> He wasn't dumbing down his message. He was still calling them to repentance. He didn't give in to idolatrous practices. And even though he told them later, he told them earlier that they're free to eat meat sacrificed to idols. In just a few verses, he's going to tell them, but don't do it. Why? Because, because it's not good to have anything to do with idolatrous practices. So he's not embracing the culture wholesale, but he's entering into that so he can critique it and can change the culture. How are you and I entering into the culture? Are we becoming, in the sense of understanding, putting ourselves in the shoes of those around us? Are we becoming like them, or are we separating into our own little Christian enclaves? Are we just becoming so ensconced into our Christianese and our, and our, our way of thinking that we can no longer relate to people around us? And, and, and Paul is saying here, get into their lives, understand the problems, the questions that the people around you have. Um, the people in your workplace, what are they struggling with? The people um, in your classes, kids, what are they struggling with? The people who are in your neighborhood, what are they wrestling with? What are those problems? What are those things that they're, they're really bothering them in the culture around us? When, when the world is bothered by politics or, or race or all these other things, how can you then understand what's bothering them and get into their lives so that you can speak the gospel truth to that? Are we engaging or are we withdrawing? Because there's a temptation to withdraw right now because it's messy. It's messy. Paul's saying, I, I, I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. He's willing to use all means. This is not manipulation. 
He's, he's loving them. He's not, he's not trying to, okay, I'm being friends so that I can manipulate them or deceive them. No, he's, he's actually understanding them, befriending them, becoming like them, becoming who they are in a sense, a Jew, a Gentile, a weak. He actually took on a trade in Corinth, I think in part because of that, because he says, to the weak I became weak, because the Corinthians, they thought that manual labor belonged only to slaves. And so Paul, he becomes a tent maker. And he refuses to take payment because taking payment would mean that he was part of the upper class. He says, I became weak. I identified with them where they were. Hudson Taylor, he was a famous missionary to China. The, the China Inland Mission, I think is what it was called. And, and when he went there, it was scandalous for the people in in the missions groups that he was a part of because he actually adopted Chinese dress at the time. He put on Chinese clothes. He, he looked like them. He did his, he grew his hair long, he, which was scandalous for them. And, and he ate Chinese food and he learned the Chinese languages and, and he practiced those customs. And he was there 51 years giving his life. He actually came back to England and then went back again in his 70s and ended up dying and is buried on the bank of the Yangtze River. And and I love how he put it. He was paraphrasing really Paul in a sense, and he says, let us in everything not sinful become like the Chinese. He was effective because he understood their culture, understood the problems, understood the circumstances, understood what they grappled with, what they wrestled with, and he, he brought the gospel to bear, but he also became like one of them so he could befriend them and, and, and identify with them. Augustine of Hippo, he, he said the same thing a few hundred years earlier. A person who nurses a sick man becomes, in a sense, sick himself, not by pretending to have a fever, but by thinking sympathetically how he would wish to be treated if he were sick himself. Become as all. Become all to save all. I want that to be my mindset. How about you? Do you have that as your mindset? Are you willing to give up your freedom to become a servant to all so that you might save some? Not only was he seeking to become a servant to seek to win them, he also thought of himself as an athlete who was running to win. He was running to win. And I think the application for us is not only should we be a servant who's seeking to win, but but be an athlete who is running to win. Be an athlete who is running to win. That's the second point I think we have it on the overheads for you. Be an athlete who is running to win. You know, so often this part of the passage is separated out to talk about just Christian discipline in the Christian life. And, and it's true that we need to be self-controlled and disciplined. That's, that's very true. There's so many other passages. And actually, Paul writes about running the race with endurance. And he writes about disciplining yourself and how the Bible, the, God's word, it teaches us to discipline ourselves. It teaches us to obey. But in this passage, it's actually a specific application. And it's in the context, not just of, of, of generic Christian discipline and generic Christian self-control, but but. This is surprising. It's actually in the context of running like an athlete, being an athlete, running to win, self-discipline for the sake of winning others. Because you know why? There's, There's no way you can live as a servant seeking to win others unless you're 
unless you're looking at yourself like an athlete who's running to win this race. Unless you're running to win this race. There's no way we can live as servants seeking to win others unless we're self-controlled. There's no way we can live as servants unless we're, we're seeking to discipline ourselves and we might save some. It requires effort. It requires work. It requires self-discipline. It requires self-control. It's hard. It's not easy to live this way is what Paul is saying. So if you're seeking to serve to win others, you're going to have to live like an athlete. This isn't about one-time evangelistic effort. This isn't just about an evangelistic program or handing out tracts. This is about a lifestyle of running. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament do you see any kind of evangelistic crusades happening at the church level and you see outreach events and, and Paul organizing those things. No, he calls every Christian to live as a servant running to win. But it's easier, you know, for us in, in our data to rely on a church program or outreach or, than it is to train yourself like an athlete. This, this, this verse is convicting, isn't it? He calls us to train like athletes in order to serve people that we might win some. How are you training? How are you serving? You know, I, I like the way David Garland says, he says they, can't, they can't amble about nonchalantly around the track and expect some kind of trophy simply for participation. They're to run as if their life depended on it. It does. The, the Corinthians, they would have identified with this because every two years they held the, the Isthmian Games. They were second only to the Olympian Games, and often they would send people from the Isthmian Games to the Olympic Games. And um, the Corinthian athletes, they trained hard, and it was a part of the culture in Corinth where um, everyone was, was all in on these games. They were only... Um, like half a mile away probably from where Paul met with the church is where these games were held. And he's giving them an illustration. So, you know, in a foot race, only one runner wins. And you know what every runner in that race is doing? They are running to try to win and they are disciplining themselves. Their whole life was about that. And if you've ever known an Olympic level athlete, it's, it's, it's what they live for. It's what they eat, sleep, drink, and breathe. And Paul's saying... I want you to think of yourselves, Christian, like this. I think of myself like this, like an athlete who's eating and sleeping and drinking and everything I'm doing and exercising and learning and I'm making this effort and I'm trying to run this race to win others to Christ. That's my goal. And he says that the motivation, everybody, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. He's saying, you know, you've seen that. You've seen the athletes. They they give up all kinds of things. They train and they exercise self-control and they do that to get a, a wreath that's only temporary. And in fact, the wreath that they would get, it was just a, a pine garland. That was their prize for winning the, the Isthmian Games. It was just a garland of pine leaves that eventually fade and disintegrate. And Paul's giving us an illustration saying, that's what the treasures of this world are like that we're so tempted to run for. The, the, the temporary things of this world that we think are prizes, we're tempted to run for those things, but it's, it's like a pine garland, it'll fade. But we're not running for that. We're on this long haul endurance race and we're, we're on this endurance race because we're gonna receive an imperishable crown. So how much more should we be willing to train and exercise self-control and discipline ourselves in order to run this race that we've been called to. The problem is sometimes we believe this lie that, that the crown of this life, the, this, this wreath of this life is worth living for. How about you? What, what race are you running in? 
What, what crown are you seeking? What reward are you looking for? You focus on the crown of fame or fortune or influence or a perfect family or people thinking well of you. An easy life. Is that the crown? Is it retirement that you're living for? Paul says we are athletes. We're running for an imperishable crown. That's who we are. And he's saying because of that, I'm not running aimlessly. You know, sometimes I have to admit that I, I, I'm running aimlessly from here to there, going about my errands, going about my day, and I'm, I don't have an aim in mind. Paul says, I don't run like that. I know where the finish line is. I'm not like a boxer who's, who's merely shadow boxing. If you're shadow boxing and not hitting an opponent, you're not gonna beat that opponent. So, so I don't run aimlessly. I don't run like a boxer beating the air. He's focused, he's disciplined. He says, I, look in verse 27, I discipline my body. I was thinking about what athletes today are like. There's, there's a guy named Tom Brady. You might have heard of him. He's a, a, a professional athlete. He's perhaps one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I hate saying that phrase because I'm a Steelers fan. And if you're a good Steelers fan, you hate the Patriots and, and you hate Tom Brady. I don't hate Tom Brady, but you know what I mean. But Tom Brady, he's, a, he's an excellent athlete. He's 40-something. Um, I get a little jealous because of that because I'm past his age. I'll just say that. But he does everything. The secret to his success is that he has this laser-like focus on football. He disciplines himself. He gives up certain things. He has this freakish diet that he does. He has these exercise routines. He does everything to make his body uh, as ready as possible as you can. Some 40-something-year-old beating 20-something-year-olds at the game of football. He doesn't let anything get in the way of his goal. He, not food or drink or entertainment or nothing. That's the kind of discipline. When Paul, for us today, we're thinking, okay, what kind of discipline does that look like? That's what Paul's talking about, that kind of self-discipline, that kind of self-control. But why? So that we might win some because we're running this race. And Paul actually says, I discipline my body, but, but actually, I, I, and, and this is the one of those times where I'm, I, I like how the, the NAS, NASB puts it because the word there for discipline is not the normal word for discipline. It's the word for beating someone up. It's the word for giving a black eye, actually, literally is what it says. So he's saying, I give myself a black eye to my body and make it my slave. I'm, I'm willing to do damage to myself, subdue my body, to beat myself up, to keep it under control so that I won't be disqualified or lose. He took this Christian race very seriously, this race to win others, this commission. And sometimes I think, I don't take this race that I've been called to seriously enough. Instead, sometimes I give up self-indulgence and laziness and selfishness and when the neighbor's kids who aren't as well-behaved as I would like, or people who have permissive parenting, or people who annoy us or bother us, or people um, who are irksome to us. Am I willing to say, okay, I'm going to suck that up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get over that. I'm going to not give in to that. When people offend me or say things that are against my politics or that I don't like, I'm willing to say, nope. Um, let me understand where they're coming from so I can identify with them, so I can proclaim hope to them. Do we live that way? Paul, everything he did was focus on this race, on the fight. 
He did whatever he could to make sure he could compete well and not be disqualified. And, and he was being a, a servant who was seeking to win. He was, he was an athlete who was running to win. But also, here's the thing. Here's how he did this. And if you just stop here, you're going to say, I can't do this. Because you can't. The, 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 I don't know if it was John Bunyan. I'm not sure who said it, actually. And they said, run, John, run. The law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. You see, Paul here, he wasn't just commanding them to do things. He was also giving them his own motivation. And I think that's what God would have for us as well, to keep, keep gospel motivation to keep going. Keep gospel motivation to keep going. When I, when I, was, when I was younger, I used to run a lot. I don't anymore. You probably can tell. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm old. Um, when I was young, I used to run a lot. And people would be like, do you like running? And I'm like, no, I hated it. We're like, well, it gets better. No, it doesn't. People were like, well, you get a runner's high after like five or six miles. I'm like, no, I don't. I would run 10 miles. I never got any runner's high. I'd be like, hi, I want to give up. I hated it. It was annoying, it was grueling, it was boring. I didn't enjoy any of it. Maybe you do, maybe you're weird like that. You like running, that's okay. I can't identify, I can't relate. I, I would get all hot and sweaty and red-faced and short of breath, and I didn't like it, you know? But I had a goal in mind, I had a motivation. And that's what kept me running at the time. Now, the motivation wasn't good, I actually... I wanted to beat other people. I wanted to be the best of what I did. It was, it was proud, but, but, but Paul gives us a more lasting motivation here. He gives us a motivation. The only way you're going to be able to keep serving and to keep running is if you understand the gospel. Look in verse 23. He says, I do it all, everything about his life, all for the sake of the gospel. And he says that I might share with him in his blessings. He always had the gospel in mind. Everything he did was with the gospel in mind. For the sake of the gospel, and that he might share with them together in the gospel. What a statement. He did all for the sake of the gospel, that he might share with them in his blessings. Is that your motivation? If it's just on, hey, I need to be a servant and I, so we can win people and, I, and, and it's a notch in your belt, that's not going to last. If, it's, if, I, if I just need to, I need to run so that I can win people, that's, that's not going to be a lasting motivation. But if you are personally aware of the fact that Christ came to serve you, that he came to give his life for you, it's going to change the way you think of yourself. It's going to change the way you think of other people. You know, I, I often, we want to appear like servants. You ever, you ever want to appear like a servant? You might want to serve in a setting where it's your choice. Sometimes we choose when and where we serve to make ourselves feel better, like we're fulfilling an obligation. We tend to serve when it's easy. We tend to serve when it's convenient, when we feel like it, when I'm busy. I feel like I'm, something's more important is when I tend not to serve or give up myself. When you interact with people on a daily basis, are you looking and seeking to serve them? If so, what's your motivation in doing that? When you go to work, are you making yourself a servant to your coworkers and your boss for the sake of the gospel that you might win them? If you're, 
have children at home or if you have elderly parents or a spouse who's not a believer, do you make yourself your servant that you might win Christ, win them to Christ for the sake of the gospel? Paul here, he is, he is motivated by the gospel in every way. He was doing all for the sake of the gospel that he might share in gospel blessings. I want you to think about for a moment, what are the gospel blessings that you are aware of? Are you aware that the gospel is, brings us every kind of blessing? Every kind of blessing. Are you aware that the Son of God, here's our motivation for becoming a servant. The Son of God became a servant. The Son of God, he became man. He humbled himself. He became a baby, the most vulnerable form of man. He came to seek, to serve, and to save the lost. He came to give his whole life for mankind. He, he served his whole life. His greatest gift was in, in giving up his life voluntarily to take your place, to take my place on the cross, to take the wrath that we deserve on ourselves. He, he came to pay for our sins. We might have his life. And, and, and I like that Jesus even spoke of himself that way in Mark 10, 45. He says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul was motivated because he understood the blessings of the gospel. There's no way you can apply this passage unless you understand the blessings of the gospel. Can't do it. Because it's, it's the power of gospel that enables us to understand the gospel to understand the blessings that we have. And it's only as we have joy by living in those things that we can say, I want other people to know this joy. I want other people to be transformed the way I've been transformed, to, to share this blessing with them together. I want that for people. Do you know the blessings of the gospel personally? Are you rehearsing them daily? Because I need to. I need to remember I need, to, I need to remember and respond like Aaron was telling us last week. Remember what's true and right and good about the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he's made us to be. Here's the thing we need to rehearse. No guilt, if you have put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, no guilt remains. No sin remains. We've been made completely clean. We don't feel that way most of the time. We feel guilty. We feel unworthy. You are completely clean in Christ Jesus. That is astonishing. We've been made one with Christ. We've been given all of his merit. So God looks at us as if we are deserving as Jesus. Do you think that way of yourself? That's not proud. That's actually being humble, denying any confidence or lack of confidence because of yourself. You know, sometimes we can think, you know what, I'm, 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 I lack confidence in because I'm aware of how weak and pitiful I am and I'm aware of how, how lacking I am. You know what that is actually? That, that can be pride at times because we're, we're saying that, that our inability somehow trumps Jesus' ability. And, and, and humility would say, oh, you know what? I don't have any. I don't have any merit on my own, but I have all the merit of Christ because of Christ. And I'm gonna claim that. I'm going to claim all the merit of Christ. I'm going to claim all the favor of Christ because I'm going to claim all my hope is in Christ constantly. That's the blessings of the gospel. We've been adopted as a child of God. 
made full members of his family. Do you hear that? You've been adopted as a child of God. You are a full member of his family and he sees you as his son and daughter. You're totally accepted. You can, anytime you want, come into the presence of the King Almighty, the King of Kings. You can come into his presence. These are the blessings of the gospel that we share with them. We have the Holy Spirit the very Spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead to empower us. This is the blessings of the gospel. We have no lack in Christ. He's given us his joy that can never be taken away. We have a prize that we're running for. This prize that we're guaranteed is the, the crown of life. We're never going to be separated from God. We can seek to serve we can seek to run to win because Jesus gave everything to win for us and he has won us. We can become all things to all people because Jesus became one of us. We're not running aimlessly. We're gonna receive a prize. When the chief shepherd appears, we will receive the unfading crown of glory. So let's run. Let's serve. Keeping the gospel as our motivation, amen? Let's pray and have the band come up and we'll close in song. Father, I pray that you would enliven our hearts and minds with your good news, the greatest news ever, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, make us alive so that we might understand all of the blessings that we have in you. May you empower us to know and trust in the good of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, would you give us joy that we don't lack anything because of you? Would you give us joy that, that we are completely accepted because of you, that you love us in every way, that you are for us in every way. And, and if you are for us, no one can be against us. Lord, nothing can separate us from your love. And Lord, would that just give us a, a, an undying joy that, that is, permeates every aspect of our lives. Lord, we, we live that way. And because of that, Lord, will we willing to say so because of that, because all my worth is in Christ, I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna run. Running with the power that you give us, running with your enabling grace. God, we pray these things in, in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.